Pornography is a killer in our churches today. You're listening to Evil Lies Close at Hand. From week three of our series, This Will Be the Death of Me, where we are learning that the law applies to people who are alive, but as Christians who have died and been raised to life, we are free from the law and sin. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. So we're going to jump right in in Romans chapter 7. Verse 21 says, So I find it, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of us feel that way? We want to do the right things, but man, evil is just like right there. Anybody else feel that way ever? Me, I'm the only one that feels that way. Good, this is going to be great today. Verse 22. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me, what's that word there? He says, captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Verse 25, let me just put that up there one more time. This is where we as a church should maybe say amen, or I I know I'm always trying to kind of teach you where we should celebrate these moments. Verse 25, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's when we as a church would say amen. Because apart from that, how many of us know that there is no cure? Apart from that, and basically when, when Paul uh, is, is talking about Jesus Christ, what he's really talking about here is the gospel because of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know the gospel to be in, 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 in a miniature form here, right? The gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to walk among us. God came to earth, lived a spotless, a sinless life, died, was murdered, was crucified on a cross, died, was buried, was buried, and then rose again, conquering death so that we might have an opportunity to know God the Father. Jesus Christ makes a way for us. And so that is a very small, uh, microscopic view, if you will, of the gospel. The gospel is a lot larger than that. But Paul is basically saying, because of the gospel, we can have victory over sin. Because of the gospel, even though uh, uh, evil lies close at hand, we have the power to to walk away, to turn away from that. We have the power to get out of the cycle of death that he's gonna talk about here in this passage a little more and also in Romans chapter one. I was thinking about this topic that we're gonna talk about today and I was reminded of of a couple, I think it was a year or two ago, um, I took my oldest son, Noah, we went on a man date. And, uh, and listen, if you're a dad, if you're a mom in here, I would, I'm not the perfect parent by far, far from it. Um, but one of the things that, that we like to do in our home is we like to date our kids. We just love to date in general. Um, we keep it in the family. And I would really appreciate if you never shared that lingo with anybody else, because my wife's from Kentucky and they might get a really wrong view you say that we keep it in the family, but um, no, I, I, I think that the time you should actually start dating is after you're married, amen? 
Um, so don't date around a lot before. Just, just find the one and then date her after you're married. And I think that you should date your kids as well. Um, and so I was on a date with my oldest son, and we were walking around Easton and making our way, obviously, to, to the Mecca uh, of, of Easton for him, which is Legoland, right? So we're, we're walking there, and he had saved all of his, his money. And we were walking there, and I, I didn't even recognize it. But as we're walking, we're walking around this water fountain and we're talking and all of a sudden I see my son, he's walking like this and, and he looks over and then he just kind of just, just keeps looking over and just slows down like this, right? And I'm like, hey man, come on, let's go, you know, like Lego store is going to close at this pace. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's neck now bumping into things, you know, and he's like walking kind of like this. And so I look over, like what in the world is he looking at? And right there in the middle of this town square is a gigantic TV outside of Victoria's Secret. And there are just ladies doing what ladies do on video screens at Victoria's Secret, right? And this is really the first time, I think, for me as a dad that I went, oh, no, 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 right? And ran over and put, like, my hand over in front of Noah's eyes and... He can't unsee things that he has now seen. Do you get what I'm saying? And we just kind of walked, and it was like this really kind of like dull ache inside of me. Because it's one of the first moments, I think the first moment in my mind, that, that I saw my son um, seeing something like that and then recognizing something like that. Maybe for the very first time. Are you following me? And it was awful. And it was heartbreaking. And it was pornography. Now, I know that we don't generally think of maybe something like that as pornography. I know that we don't generally think of a billboard that we see on the side of a highway as pornography. I know that we generally don't think of magazines that we see out for display for our children and, and for everyone in general at the, at the, uh, you know, at the checkout line as pornography. But, but let me tell you, today in our world, in our country, in our culture, in our society, in our small hometowns across America, we are surrounded by a culture of pornography. We are. The Supreme Court in 1973 actually gave up trying to define what pornography is. In fact, Justice Potter, who was tasked with really kind of this collective uh, uh, task force of, of coming up with defining pornography, they're, she's supposed to, they're supposed to you know, figure out what constituted pornography, is quoted as saying this, I will not today attempt further to define pornography, and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so. I can tell you this, though. I know it when I see it. We can't even truly define pornography in our culture, but how many of us really know it when we see it? The problem with that statement is that pornography, like culture, like society, by the way, if you haven't figured out what we're talking about today, this is going to be kind of the wheelhouse, okay? So hang in tight. It's going to be a quiet Sunday, most likely. I prepared my heart to amen it myself today, okay? And that's fine. Um, the problem with that statement is that just like culture, just like society, pornography is progressive, Okay? And, and also, let me just say this. You might be saying, like, I thought we were talking about, like, Romans 7. Why are we zooming in and talking about this? And, and the reason we're talking about pornography today is because it is one of the largest 
and, and most silent killers in churches across our world. It is one of the, the biggest killers in marriage. It is, it is I, w- I would say this. I would say pride and pornography wrestle for first place in every man's heart. Truly. And so if you're going to say like, well, why are we talking about this? This is why we're talking about this. Happy Father's Day. Okay. This is why we're going to talk about this today. And, and I think sometimes we as parents um, of children, of teenagers, we kind of turn a blind eye to this. We don't think it's important. And what I want you to know is that it needs to be on the forefront of our radar at whatever age you find yourself in or whatever section of life you find yourself in as well. Because pornography now is mainstream. Things that used to be under the counter or are on the front of the counter. Things that, that used to be behind a curtain in, in, a, in a store are now out and for everybody to see. Uh, pornography, erotic literature is, is now topping at times the, the Times bestseller list. Number one, spots. Movies are, are just out there for you to see. Things that years ago would have been impossible um, now are just open for everyone to observe. Uh, remember that show, I Love Lucy? Remember that show, anybody? If you're, if you're young, just nod in agreement because you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and then there's those of us who remember I Love Lucy when, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, when it was in color. And then there's like the I Love Lucy OGs who are like, no, no, no. I Love Lucy was in black and white, right? Right? Okay, yeah, exactly. And so back in the day when I Love Lucy was in black and white, do you know that there was a big controversy? Because they wanted to show... Uh, Lucy pregnant, but they couldn't use the word pregnant on TV because it would insinuate that something had taken place to get her pregnant. Man, I would ask, have we changed it all today in our culture? Yeah, we have come a long way in a short amount of time. So let's not even debate the definition of pornography. Rather, let's just talk about the purpose of pornography. And the purpose of pornography, if you're taking notes this morning, which I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to do, the purpose of pornography, yes, sin, but is also specifically this word, lust. In fact, turn to your neighbor and make this awkward for everybody. Turn to your neighbor and just say the word lust. There you go. Some of you are like, I like you, but I'm not doing that, right? Yeah, it's just such an awful word. And, and, and lust for anyone other than your own spouse is sin. Okay? Let me just say that again. Lust for anyone other than your own spouse is condemned by God as a grievous, evil sin. And for you, let me just, let me just focus on guys, okay? For us, for you, single men, I just want to put this out there. I don't know that I say this enough, but I also don't know that I could actually say it enough. Lusting of any measure is wrong. Okay? Lusting of any measure is wrong. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to find my way, and I'm trying to find my wife, my future wife. No, lusting of any measure is, is wrong. You're sinning, and we need to confess our sins, and we need to repent. Scripture is emphatically clear uh, that God's men and God's women should abstain from sexual sin. Is this a question today? Should this be a question 
in our culture today, in our churches, should it be a question if single Christians should be having sex or viewing pornography? Is this a question that we now have? Exodus says in chapter 20 that we should not commit adultery. This is a sexual sin. It goes on in chapter 20 that we should not covet after our neighbor, even when their clothing leaves less, you know, little to be uh, revealed. You know, everything's revealed. I don't know how to say that correctly. Right? We should not lust. Proverbs 23 says that we should not sleep with women of the night, with prostitutes. That we should not, as, as men and women, we, neither one of us get out of that one. Okay, right? We should not do that. And 1 Corinthians 6 says that we should not be fornicators. Scripture is emphatically clear over and over and over and over and over that we are to be holy, that we are called to live a cut above. And this has to do with the fact that evil lies close at hand and that we have justified pornography in our lives. We have a culture that says pornography is okay because it doesn't hurt anybody. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And so what we tend to do is start to think, we start to think like, okay, well, that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. That's bad. Intimacy is bad. Intimacy is bad. Intimacy is bad. And I want you to know, like, the thirst for intimacy is not bad. The thirst for intimacy is not a sin. The thirst for sex is not a sin. Listen, as a single man, you desiring that is not a sin. Listen, you as a single woman, that is not a sin. That desire, God placed that desire. He placed that thirst there. The problem isn't the thirst. The problem is how you're quenching the thirst. God placed that inside of you because it is a beautiful thing to be enjoyed inside of your marriage. Jeremiah 2 says that people tend to satisfy the thirst not by drinking from God's streams of living water, but instead from drinking from man-made toilets. It's cisterns. Broken cisterns. You know what that's a reference to? That's in reference to a, a, an old biblical toilet. And the metaphor that this prophet is painting here, he's saying, like, we have a pure living source of water. And you're saying, like, oh, I think I'd rather drink out of the John. <laughs> you see the issue with that? And we have created a culture and a society that has made toilet water sellers very wealthy. We pay people to hand us toilet water. Do you see the ridiculousness of that? Yes, anybody, anybody, yes, do we? Yes, it's ridiculous. It's a hot button issue in our churches today, obviously, mostly because pastors are viewing pornography themselves, so they don't wanna talk about it. And if that's not the case, and they're scared somebody's gonna get mad and leave, see you later. They're, they're worried because, well, this is a difficult topic with a lot of, okay, figure it out and talk about it. They're scared that maybe scripture doesn't hold a strong enough stance, which it does. A lot of weak individuals leading churches today. I don't know if I can say that in a nicer way, um, but, but there it is. And so we've taken this issue of pornography in our culture and in our church, we've taken it out of the hands of theologians and, and we've put it into the hands of secular counselors 
who tell us that, no, this is a natural thing, it's okay. You know, you've evolved to think this way, and, and you know, this is actually healthy, and this is a healthy behavior for, for you to, to carry out and, as you view pornography. And, and listen, as they counsel your children, you should probably know this, by the way, as secular counselor, counselors counsel your children, not only will they tell them that it's healthy and okay, but they'll actually tell them this is something you don't necessarily need to discuss with your parents or anybody else. And, and so that's, that's what we're saying, like, okay, yeah, that's great. That's what we want. That's not what we want. No. Either Scripture is the defining truth for us, the level of morality, or it's not. And so we have to look at it, and you're like, man, you sound like an old fundy today. Yeah. Yeah, I got some Baptist roots, and I'm just kind of ticked off because we don't talk about this and we wrestle with it inside of our churches. And I'm tired of seeing good men and good women's marriages ruined because of pornography and because of the lack of speaking about it. Now, one of the things I hear most often when I'm talking to men or women, but usually men, about pornography is this. Well, listen, Pastor, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew or go with girls that do. If you're a girl that chews, I don't know. That's a whole nother level. I don't beat my wife, which I don't know why we go there. But they're, they're just like, I don't do any of those things, right? But I do occasionally look at pornography. What's the big deal? I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not really doing anything that's going to like overtly like hurt myself. Well, Paul would disagree. In chapter 7 and verse 21, he says this. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We talked about this. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And here it is. Look at this and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What I want you to understand is this. When you come to Jesus Christ, you leave a lifestyle and a life of bondage. Can we agree with that? Yes? You are a slave to sin. And then Jesus Christ sets you free because of the gospel, because he died for you. And he makes a way where there was no way. And so now you're on this side. Now you're on this side of things. And you are now subject to Christ when you submit yourself willingly to sin. What you are saying is this. I, I want to get back there. I want to get back to that slavery. I want to get back to that master. I want to get back to that sinful lifestyle. I want to be subject. I want to be a captive again. Let me ask you. What kind of free man wants to go back into slavery. Huh? You talk to any POW who's been rescued, none of them would say, you know, I really wish I could go back there for another couple days. Sit down and have a conversation with John McCain. Hey, man, would you ever like to go back? You know, I've thought about that. I, I really would. No, nobody wants to be a captive again after they've been made free. And yet this is what we struggle with. This is what we wrestle with. We become captive to the sin, and it changes us. According to Paul, according to Scripture, you're wrong when you say that, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do anything, I'm just doing this and it doesn't hurt anybody. Wrong. The person that it hurts is you. The first person that pornography hurts is yourself. You know, it's been discovered that each time you view pornography, you are literally mapping out a new route in your brain, in your mind, 
for your mind to travel down. And the more and more, just like any road would be, the more and more you travel down this road, the more easier or less congested it is to reach your destination. Does that make sense? You are literally mapping out a new route when you view pornography. Not only that, but neurologists have discovered that a massive amount of, of chemicals are released when you view pornography. Chemicals that are meant to only be released in a time of intimacy. Are you following me? Chemicals that are only meant to be released from our scriptural point of view, which we believe is God's truth. We know is God's truth. Chemicals that are only supposed to be released between a husband and a wife. The problem is when these chemicals are released when viewing a screen, the effects are, are devastating. Listen, let me, let me tell you this. When you view pornography, dopamine, oxytocin, prolactin, and serotonin are released, as well as norepinephrine. Now, all these are awesome chemicals, okay? Just so you know. They're awesome chemicals that God meant to be released when you are intimate with your spouse. You're like, this is a weird sermon. It is, but I gotta include this, okay? Because I want you to understand what's going on. I feel like if God created your body, we should have some kind of working understanding about some of the chemicals that are going through us. Would you agree? Yes? Okay, I'll amen myself. Amen. So let me explain this to you. Dopamine helps you focus on your spouse during intimacy. Norepinephrine is what makes intimacy exciting, one of the many things. Makes your heart beat and creates a lasting memory of the moment. Oxytocin is what creates a bond between you and your spouse. In fact, oxytocin is released in large quantities. This is interesting in men, but it's also released in large quantities in women when they're actually having a child, when they're giving birth. Isn't it interesting? Because it, it, you know, when she holds her baby close to her, it's because it creates this, this bond between yourself and another individual. It's interesting. Prolactin is what is released in large amounts to bring the act of intimacy to an end and kickstarts this like this 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 period of rest. And then serotonin is is what is released after intimacy is completed and brings a satisfied and peaceful and intimate feeling. See, God created this to function a certain way. Are you following me? And yet when we when we do this, when we view pornography with a screen, with, with an inanimate object, there's a big problem because you still release all of these chemicals, but it comes back to you with no other human being. And so the opposite, uh, uh, doctors have, have noted that the opposite effects take place. Where there's supposed to be a connection, now there's depression. Where there's supposed to be a bond, now there's anxiety. There's darkness. There's, there's a very difficult thing that happens with people where they don't connect with the screen. They can't connect to an image. And so it brings loneliness and emptiness and it changes the way that we think. If you want to talk to people, go, go read any number of interviews. There's a, there's a fascinating article from John Mayer. And I love John Mayer's music. I just don't like his viewpoints and that's okay. To, you know, whatever. But he says this. He says that pornography has ruined him. He says, I'd rather view pornography than be with another individual. It's just completely ruined me. And he says it with a smile on his face as a joke, but it's so true. It comes back void. And this is a great example of what Romans 121 says. 
Remember this? It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, what's that word? Futile. Futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What you have to understand here, what you have to get about sin, and the sin that talk is, is he's talking about here, is, as well as in chapter 7, is that sin works hard to try and get you into a cycle of death. Sin works hard. It doesn't just want the win. It wants the victory. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about tonight. Tonight, uh, for as far as I know in history, the Cavs, I believe, are going to win a championship game. Now, listen to me. You could say, oh, you're, a, you're, a, you know, you're jumping on the bandwagon. No, no, don't tell me that. I know Craig Elo. I know Mark Price. I know Brad Daughter. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Larry Nate. I'm just saying, like, I've been waiting for this a long time. I went through years of having to wear the ugliest blue, orange, and white T-shirts ever. Before it was cool to wear a Cavs shirt, I had one on. So I've been waiting a long time, not for a win, but for a victory. It's one thing to get a win. It's one thing to watch game six and be like, man, that was a good game. That was a good game. Steph throwing his mouthpiece at a person, getting ejected from a game. LeBron just dominating. It's nice to get a win. It's better to get a victory. It's better to get a victory. It's better to walk home with victory. It's better to walk home with, with, with a championship. Are, are you feeling me? And what I want you to know is that that is exactly sin's view. Yeah, it wants to get the wins, but it wants to get victory. And victory is this for sin, that it gets you caught in a cycle of death. Because sin knows that when it can get you caught in a cycle of death, that cycle is very hard to get out of because sin is smart. It watches your rhythms. It knows when you're good. It knows when you're bad. It knows when you're weak. It knows when you're strong. You know, if I'm an intelligent enemy and I want to ambush you and I want to take you out, I'm going to sneak around and watch your patterns for a little while. I'm going to see when you are by yourself. I want to see when you're strongest. I want to see when you're weakest. And then after I know your habits, after I know your rituals, after I know your rhythms, then I'm going to attack you and I'm going to catch you in a weak place and get you caught in my cycle. That's what sin does to us. And it will take you faster. It will take you down faster and faster than you can ever imagine. Romans 1 highlights the cycle of sin that Romans 7 is referring to. It says this in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed for forever. Point number one. We're going to run through these real quick. Point number one. Write this down. What we see affects what we think. I'm giving you the cycle. What we see affects what we think. What we see affects what we think. Um, last year, my parents got for me, for my birthday, a blender. And uh, I opened it up, and I, you know, it's one of those gifts where you open it up, you're like, what is, what is this? What, what is this? Just give me a gift card. I, what is this, you know? And, uh, and so I was convinced, all right, I'm going to use this. Once. I'm going to kind of test this. Let's see what it can do, right? 
And uh, so I got all these different types of fruits, and I was like, I'm gonna, we're going to make a smoothie. And my wife was like, great, you know. And so you shove like a whole, you know, like a pineapple thing, like a big, you know, whatever. And, and I, like, I don't know what I really thought was going to happen with the blender. I kind of just thought it was just going to come out beautifully, you know, like, and it just somehow makes the rind and the seeds and all the gross stuff like evaporate into the air. I don't know. But I don't know if you know this. That's not how a blender works. Um, because whatever you put into the blender actually has to come out somewhere. It, it just doesn't stay in there. Like, I mean, it, it could stay in there, but then it's not going to be very, you know, good um, at all. It's not going to work well. And, and so there's this little, like, emptying cup where all the junk goes into, and you got to take that and empty it out. And, and over here, though, this is where all the good stuff comes out, and it's just a little bit. It's like you put in, like, 13 cantaloupes, and you get, like, this much juice. You're like, man, this doesn't really seem very cost effective, you know? But then you have just bucket, just like mush, you know? What I'm telling you is it's the same thing in our walk. That's the same thing in just our life in general. What you see affects what you think. Everything you take in goes somewhere. You don't just view things and then just like, you know, just forget them. And they just disappear. No, it affects what you, you think. And Paul says that when we have these lusts in our hearts that, and we dishonor our bodies, and it says that when we do that, when we're viewing these things, what we're actually doing is that we're exchanging the truth about God for a lie. We're serving the creature rather than the creator. That's a fascinating phrase to me. We're serving the creature rather than the creator. God is the creator. God is the one who created the creature, and yet we choose to follow after the creature. You ever think about that? We would rather serve the created things than the, than the creator himself. Why? Because oftentimes the created thing has less of a standard than the creator does. It is not easy to follow after God. It is not easy to follow after Jesus Christ. Whatever we put in is going to affect the outcome. And when we put in garbage, when we put in Pornography, when we put in these images and, and these thoughts, we're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. That's the first cycle that we begin what we see. What we see affects what we think. Number two, cycle. Next step. What we think affects what we do. This isn't rocket science. What we see affects what we think. What we think affects what we do. Romans 1, 29 and 32. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's an interesting one. Disobedient to parents. I like that that's a priority there in that sin list. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only... They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What we think affects what we do. It doesn't just stop with what we see. Because what we see begins, becomes what we think, and then what we think affects what we do. Point number three. What we do affects who we are. And there's the cycle. What we see affects what we think. What we think affects what we do. And what we do affects who we are. Proverbs 1 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. Let me just ask you this morning, how is your walk with Jesus Christ? Hmm? Do you find yourself far from Jesus? Do you find yourself far from the Lord? What you see will turn into what you think. What you think will turn into what you do. And what you do will define who you are if you fail to draw your identity from Jesus Christ. And so now I want to tell you how to break the cycle of sin. Because maybe you're like, yeah, man, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Been viewing pornography for 13 years. Been viewing pornography since I was 13 and computer. Saw it on my dad's computer. Maybe that's you. Yeah, man, this is something that nobody knows about. This is a dark secret. My wife doesn't know it. My kids don't know it. My boss doesn't know it. My pastor doesn't know it. My sea life, they don't know it. And I can't tell anybody because I'm caught in this horrible thing. I don't want people to view me different. I don't want people to see me different. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed, but I can't quit. It's an addiction. I know that is you this morning. I know that is many of you this morning. So what I want to show you is how to break that addiction. How to break free from that cycle. And it's simply this. You must draw your identity from Jesus Christ alone. You must not draw your identity from your sin. You know who draws their identity from, from their sin? Is a captive to the sin. You are not a captive to sin any longer, amen? Come on. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been set free, but you are now reminding yourself, or rather telling yourself, that you're no good and that you are just as good, rather, as somebody who is a slave to sin. And you begin speaking these things. You begin saying these things. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that God's men are the glory of God shining forth into a perverted, dark world. Can I lean into this a little bit? Just, just here in closing. Can I lean into this? Yes? Okay. Let's read this again then. 11.7 tells us. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says that God's men are the glory of God shining forth into a perverted and dark world. Listen, God. Listen, men. You, as God's men, are to be led by the Holy Spirit, not led by a naked woman. You are to be gripped at the heart by a holy God and not groped by a depraved world. You are to radiate and to reflect the heat and light and glory of God to this world. Why? Because you are the glory of God. Scripture tells us you are the glory of God. You are not an animal. You are the glory of God. You are not a pervert. You are to be the glory of God. You're not an addict. You're the glory of God. You're not a victim. You're the glory of God. You're not a fool. You are the glory of God. And you might say, well, Travis, how can you say that if you only knew? I don't have to. God does. And think about this. Scripture tells us that before you were even born, Jesus died for you. Scripture goes on to say that before the very foundations of the earth were even laid, he knew you and called you by name. So God knew what you were long before you were. And he still chose you. He still called you. Why? Because you are the glory of God. And it's time that you begin acting like that which you are called to be. You are better than that. You are better than how you're behaving. You're supposed to be God's man. 
You're supposed to be a man that the young children in our church can look up to. You're better than that. Do you hear me? This isn't something that we just say like, well, it's no big deal. You know, it's nobody knows. God knows. God knows. And it's affecting you. It's changing you. It's shaping you. And it is a generational curse that will haunt your home for years and years to come. You're better than that. So men, this is a call to real masculinity. Women, this is a a call, not to masculinity, but to true femininity. Because men and women both struggle with this issue. This is a call to truly begin viewing yourself and drawing your identity from Jesus Christ. But, but, but listen, the reason I just bring this up on this day is because it is a problem. And it is an issue. And I could stand up here and just talk good and tell you good things and great things and wonderful things, but the fact of the matter is there is, a, there is this curse that is taking place, not only in our church, but in all churches. And it's a curse of sin. And what I want you to know is that Jesus Christ came and broke that curse so that you don't have to be subject to it anymore. Do you hear me? You don't have to be subject to it. And so when you find yourself all alone in the middle of the night with no one around, listen to me, young man, just men in general, and you feel powerless, I want you to know that you're not. If Jesus Christ lives inside of you, then his Holy Spirit dwells with you. You're telling me that the same power that rose Christ from the dead cannot protect you and save you from an addiction like that? No, you don't know our God. You're telling me this isn't something that Jesus can heal you of, that Jesus can't take you out of, that you can't get out of the cycle of sin. Listen, I'm telling you, you have been deceived. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're free. You know what a free man has to do to get out of chains? Stand up and walk away. Those chains don't shackle him. It's just the appearance of slavery. So as you begin reading scripture, as you begin praying, I want you to begin saying this. Are you listening to me? Are you listening? This is it. You begin saying, I'm a free man. This sin doesn't hold me. I'm the glory of God. I'm a free man. This sin doesn't hold me. I am the glory of God. I'm a free man. This sin doesn't hold me. I am the glory of God. And I don't care if it's 4 a.m. in your house and you are in your basement and it is dark. If you need to shout that, you begin shouting that. If you need to call somebody and wake them up, you call them and wake them up. Not me, but somebody else. I don't care what you need to do, but you need to at least just say, I am a free man. This sin will hold me no longer. I am the glory of God. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, This Will Be the Death of Me, a Covenant Church. We hope you are impacted by the message today. If you'd like to invest into this ministry, feel free to give online at covenantchurch.us forward slash give.